This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. I definitely have a tan, definitely not well rested, definitely up in the air as to whether I'm ready, but back at work I am. Hello everyone, it is Scoop Podcast episode 158, back to the work grind after some much needed rest and relaxation, although not much emphasis on either, but certainly had a number of adult beverages up north. Always a good time on the lake. We'll waste no time here on Scoop Podcast episode 158, certainly enough to get to. We will begin with former Chaska High School star. He is now a two-time All-Star, pitcher for the San Diego Padres. He is second in the National League in saves with 24. Since he went to the Padres two years ago, he is one of the best relievers. Forget the National League. In all of baseball, just look at the numbers. He is Brad Hand. Brad, it's always nice to catch up. Did you feel like a second consecutive All-Star appearance was was darn near inevitable when you look at your numbers, how prodigious they are? What, second in the National League in saves? And, you know, obviously San Diego needs an All-Star representative, or was there an element of surprise that you made your second consecutive All-Star team? Kind of had a little rough, rough month, so, um, you know, I wouldn't say I was, super confident but then again like, I, I i didn't really know what was going to happen how was the news broken to you um it was uh we had a day game in arizona um and before the game or like yeah like before the game the manager just called me in and told me that i'd be uh you know representing the padres at the at the all-star game and i mean was it just was it jubilation or did you feel for your teammate kirby that that he wasn't gonna go i mean obviously i, I wanted him to you know get to be able to experience it but um you know it's it just it would have been nice if both of us could have made it or or even just him made it um you know he had a amazing first half um you know I, I felt like he was very deserving as well Brad where do you stand on just the process the voting process as a whole I mean Chris Archer's been pretty vocal on social media saying you know his teammate Blake Snell I mean if if the voting was done, let's say, a couple days before the teams were announced, I mean, heck, we have the technology now where you guys could vote on your phones, your tablets, whatever it might be, that why do you guys vote like three weeks before the teams are actually announced? Where where do you stand on the, on the voting process? You know, I think the voting process is what it is. Maybe it just needs to be, you know, um, more thought about with the players voting instead of guys just throwing together a quick ballot, maybe think about it a little more or, um, whatever it may be, but um, obviously there's guys that are deserving of all star uh, being able to go to the all star game that uh, you know don't get the chance. Reflect on your journey, Brad. I mean, we're talking what 26, 27 months ago. You know what? April of 2016, the Miami Marlins, then what the Florida Marlins, I suppose. They tossed you to the curb. I mean, they didn't want you anymore. You had no idea where your baseball career was headed. The Padres acquire you, and you've been lights out ever since you've landed in San Diego. Yeah, I mean, obviously I got designated at, like, the very last day of spring training. Um, you, you didn't really know um, if I was even going to get claimed or picked up by anybody. Um, so, you know, I was thankful to be uh, picked up by the Padres and kind of given an opportunity here to, you know, pitch out of the bullpen pretty regularly. And then, um, you know, I kind of took my opportunity and ran with it a little bit. Even when I started pitching in the bullpen here, I wasn't really pitching in high leverage or meaningful situations. But, um, you know, kind of pitched well. And then had one or two chances in high leverage situations uh, did well. And then kind of just started getting thrown in more of those kind of situations. Who are some people that deserve credit? I mean, first and foremost, obviously you do. But are there some people that whether it was – your pitch selection, pitch mechanics. Are there certain people that deserve credit for, for all your success the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, we've got a great pitching coach here in San Diego, Darren Bosley. He's one of the best. Um, you know, his game plan, uh, scout reports, um, just the way he communicates or gets his message across to, to the guys here, I think is, is very effective. Um, you know, and another thing was just the slider that I developed. Um, you know, the my last year there in Miami, uh, the second half of the year was the first time I've ever was ever throwing the slider. So my first year in San Diego was uh, my first full year of slider, which now developed into you know one of my best pitches. 
Yeah, I mean, is that really your go-to pitch, your out pitch, when you're looking to strike somebody out, Brad? I mean, you're second among relievers the last couple of years in strikeouts. I mean, you're known as a strikeout pitcher. Is the slider your your strikeout pitch? Yeah, for sure. The slider is definitely my go-to strikeout pitch. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you got to work off your fastball, though your fastball will make you know, the slider good at times. But um, I, when I'm looking for, like, a big strikeout, big situation, uh, you know, sliders, you know, the go-to pitch. Has your velocity gone up? Or is your velocity about the same as it was, say, three, four years ago? I'd say it's probably, I guess, I mean, Somebody made it aware to me that it's gone up this year compared to last year. Um, has, I think, gone up over the past, you know, three years or so ever since I was let go from Miami. Brad, how much pride do you take, you know, Chaska High School, being a northern guy, a Minnesotan, you know, getting as far as you have in, in a game that's dominated by so many guys that are that are from the south? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I kind of get the uh, – I wouldn't say we're kind of behind the schedule on a few things being from the north. Um, you know, obviously you can't play baseball year-round, um, so it makes it a little more difficult. Uh, you just got to, you know, work hard and, um, you know, try to do whatever whatever you can to, you know, try to compete with, compete with those uh, guys that are playing baseball year-round those first few years in pro ball for sure. Brad, how much pride do you take in being a Bulldog? I mean, since you joined the Padres, you are third among relievers in appearances. So we talk about all the strikeouts and the great ERA, the great whip and all that, but but just the fact that, that the manager knows he can hand you the ball day in and day out, that they don't have to worry about any sort of durability issues with you. Yeah, I think some of that goes to being a starter back in the day. I think you know, I'm, I was kind of used to throwing a bunch of innings. Um, so I don't ever feel like a lot of pitching has really worn on my arm because I'm kind of used to it. Uh, it was kind of weird uh, at first getting used to you know throwing back-to-back days or three days in a row but um you know i'm just i've been blessed that i've never had any arm issues or arm problems and i'm always uh feeling pretty good um so you know you, you take pride in being able to take ball every single day and um you know the manager appreciates that as well whether it's the strikeout of robinson cano other memories what what do you remember about last year's all-star game and it was all kind of a blur. It went by so quick. Um, you know, just being able to get all my family out there and spend it with all them. Um, it was a cool situation. It goes by super quick. Maybe this year I'll be able to, you know, get a little more, know what's going to go on. So I'll be able to, you know, relax and appreciate things a little more. I mean, it's the full circle, though. You think about last year, right, in Miami, you know, the Marlins let you go, and then all of a sudden you're back in, in that ballpark as an all-star. Yeah, for sure. It was, I mean, it was, it was made it a little easier because I knew the ballpark. I knew how to get around. Uh, I knew knew everything like that. I knew all the clubhouse staff. So uh, that definitely made it easier. Um, you know, but it was cool to be able to go back there and uh, represent the Padres in the All-Star game last year. Um, you know, and I'm looking forward to doing it again in D.C. this year. In preparation for, for chatting with you, I wanted to look up your numbers. So I go to Google, I type in your name, thinking, okay, baseball reference, whatever, you know, your stats will pop up, snap of the fingers. There's like 12 stories about, you know, the Yankees wanting you, or you name the team, this trade rumor, that trade rumor. I had to scroll way down just to find your stats. I mean, how how overwhelming are all these trade rumors? Um, You know, I, I think last year I heard so much stuff. I heard so many different teams, and, you know, uh, Nothing ended up happening, so um, you know you can't worry about it too much. I mean, obviously it's a good thing if your name's talking about it. it means you know people want you. So um, you just gotta go about your day the same way, and um, you know at the end of the day we have no control over trades or anything like that. So um, you know just go out there and prepare for the game tonight. Is there any part of you that would love to though be in a pennant race and eventually pitch in, in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's what you know. That's what we all play for the game for is to win, uh, you know, win a World Series. So, um, you know, but I, I, when I signed my extension last year, I was, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, I, I believe in the organization here in San Diego and the talent that we have coming up. So, um, you know, I kind of wanted to be a part of something special here. Um, you know, we're, we're close to being really good here with a bunch of young guys. Um, you know, so I'd like to get it done here in San Diego. I'll leave you after this. Did you ever think at any point 
during your career that you would end up here in Minnesota, whether it was, heck, the, the year you got drafted, I know that they liked you a ton, whether it was a couple years ago when when the Marlins kicked you to the curb. I mean, the Twins had interest then. Maybe there was some other time along the way. Did you ever think, hey, I may end up back in my hometown pitching for the Twins? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I thought I was going to get drafted by them uh, out of high school just because that's they always like keeping their uh, Minnesota boys with, with the Twins. So, um, you know, that, that was the first team that I thought, you know, I'd be going to. Um, It'd be a cool situation, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, we don't we don't have any control over that until you know free agency. So uh, we don't really get to pick where we choose. So um, yeah, but it, it was last year was my first year uh, playing there as a visitor, so it's a it's a very cool situation. That's right. Yeah, you guys were at Target Field last year. Yeah, that would have been yeah. your first chance. Yeah, how how was that experience? It was fun. Uh, we were only there for you know it was a quick trip, I think. Um, but it was, it was fun. I mean, I, that was the first time, um, being there as a visiting guy. It felt kind of weird at first, but, um, you know, there, I had a bunch of family and friends there, so it was, it was pretty cool. Brad, it's always fun to catch up with you. All the best the rest of this year with the Padres. If you get moved, all the best with, with your new team, and certainly all the best when it comes to, to being on the National League All-Star team next week in Washington, D.C. Yeah, thank you for having me. He is one of the best relievers in all of baseball from Chaska, San Diego Padre, Brad Hand. I mentioned the Twins, brought up the Twins with Brad because the Terry Ryan regime tried multiple times to land Brad. They just they thought the world of him even coming out of Chaska High School. It just never aligned, but they tried. They tried multiple times, so they saw something in Brad. Speaking of Terry Ryan, I saw him at Target Field on Monday. He was there for Philly's scouting duties, had a chance to catch up with him for a bit. He is doing very well. He said he's actually on the road way more than when he was the GM of the Twins. Said, hey, my wife doesn't necessarily like it, but he is a grinder. He is the first scout at the ballpark. He beats all other scouts. He is doing his homework he has scouted high school games the last handful of months, college games, now professional games. He just he doesn't stop. Terry Ryan has a strong, strong passion for the game of baseball and specifically scouting. On the scouting front, I can tell you going back the last couple weeks, all these teams have had scouts at Target Field. Now, at times it's hard to decipher who was there for normal coverage versus who was there for trade reasons, and if somebody is there, are they watching somebody on the other team, like Manny Machado, other Orioles, Mike Moustakis, other Royals, or are they there to watch the Twins, or oftentimes it's a combination. But anyway, all these teams have had scouts at Target Field in recent weeks. Arizona, Philadelphia, Arizona, by the way, has had multiple scouts multiple times. Atlanta, Seattle, Texas, not the Texas is in the playoff mix, but they still have been in town. Cleveland, Milwaukee, Boston, and the L.A. Dodgers. And I'm sure there are others, but those are the ones that I am aware of. Plus the San Diego Padres, speaking of Brad Hand, the San Diego Padres with Mark Merrilla, the former gopher, he does a lot of work at Target Field, so he is oftentimes at Target Field. On the Twins trade front, plus myriad other Twins talking points, I caught up with General Manager Thad Levine on Monday late afternoon. The headline of the day, I guess, uh, Barrios making an all-star team. I mean, he was great early. Then he hit a lull. Like, if you had told me on May 25th, Jose Barrios is going to be an all-star, I would have been like, yeah, he's got electric stuff, but no way, no how. I mean, so I guess it's a testament to him how he overcame some of that adversity, you know, after those three or four starts early in April. I mean, for him to make an all-star team is is incredibly impressive. I think you're talking about two different things. One is I do think he's a guy who's definitely deserving of being an all-star, performed extremely well. This is one of those guys that I think benefits from the sophistication now that we apply to evaluating players. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is excellent. His swing and miss rate is excellent. I also think he's one of the burgeoning stars in the game, and he's from Puerto Rico. I think all those things help. Now, uh, the other side of the coin is his maturation throughout the course of the season, which I think has been tremendous. You know, I think he's had adversity at different points in his career, 
mostly just been at the big league level. Didn't see a lot of that in the minor league level. But he's battled back. He's been a guy who has really not had multiple bad starts in a row. When he's had a bad one, he's come back and, and battled. I'm excited to see him pitch again tonight. You know, coming off that Cubs start, he, he just had one good since then. And so he's one of those guys that I think you're seeing develop right before our eyes, maybe starting to scratch the surface of the consideration of being looked at as one of those elite starters in the American League. Maybe an elite outfielder in the American League is Eddie Rosario. I mean, do you like the voting process? How exactly do you explain that he's not a member of the All-Star team? I think he's a big omission, you know, and I think all the articles have been written to reflect that. So, and not that that's a consolation prize. He, he is now one of the final vote getters, and I hope that our fans stand up. And I, th- I hope baseball fans stand up. When you look at the, the page on fan graphs or, or baseball reference of sorting by war, not only is he the t- towards the top of the outfielders, but he's towards the top of the American League hitters. Those types of players should be represented in, in the All-Star game. He's had an exceptional first half, building off of what was a really strong 2017 campaign. I think he's established himself as a bona fide all-star he deserves to be in the game do you like the voting process though i mean was it like three weeks ago i mean that's a long time like should the voting have been done by players and coaches and what have you like last week instead well you know i think the fans did a generally a good job i, I thought chris I, I think chris archer's commentary uh, you know obviously around blake snow was was really prescient you know it's it i think it, it's a call to arms of the, of the players and the staff to maybe be a little bit more thoughtful when they're when they're doing this maybe to you know get on the internet and, and really evaluate these players rather than just doing what they feel is a visceral response. Hey, listen, there are a lot of guys on this team that I think are exceptional players. There just happen to be a few guys on the outside looking in who may be a tick better in 2018 than the guys who have made the team. I mean, you think about Escobar, too. I mean, I suppose if you guys were, flip the record around, what is it now, 39 and 48, if you guys were 48 and 39, you probably have three All-Stars. I think you'd expect to have all three of those guys, and I think you'd have some consideration for guys like Fernando Rodney, who's had a, a great first half, really consistent performer. So I absolutely agree. I think our, our record has probably cost maybe one of those guys consideration on the team. Uh, but I do think the process could bear some refinement. I'm hopeful that when you see some injury replacements and when you see the final vote, we may see more than just one twin on the, on the All-Star team. How do you balance, okay, four-game winning streak against a really bad team? How do you balance that versus the total body of work of, of still being nine games under 500? Um, you know, I think you got to look at the whole body, and we, we still have a handful of games yet to play, be played before the All-Star game. And we got a, a team in Kansas City which is scuffling a little bit, and then we got a team that's been really competitive in Tampa Bay coming in uh, for four-game set before we break. So I think we'll have a pretty good sense of what this team is. Uh, so far, we've proven that we can beat some of the best teams in the league, but we can also play to the, the level of some other clubs throughout the, the league. So uh, we've been waiting for this team to, to, to make a run. Maybe we're seeing the start of that right now. So do you then wait? I mean, as July 31st approaches, the non-waiver deadline, do you play this thing out, or is the time now to sell? You know, I think we've seen very few deals so far. The Kansas City Royals have made two, and really outside of that, it's been pretty quiet. And, and that's the nature of the game. You know, all these deadlines are, are create this sort of artificial pull towards those exact dates. The conversations we're having with clubs are a lot more inventory-taking and uh, expression of interest in some of our players, nothing to the point where they're pressing you to, to actually make decisions right now. So I think as long as that's the case, we'll, we'll be inclined to be patient as long as we can. I think that being said, I think we have a commitment to this fan base and to the ownership group to make good baseball deals when they present themselves. None have presented themselves just yet. But with many days to go, I mean, would it be surprising to you if by July 31st you don't sell off at least one asset? I think based upon the industry's interest in some of our players, at least as described in a preliminary fashion, I think there'll be opportunities for us to make some deals. It'll be a matter of whether or not we feel those are great deals for the team, whether they be short-term or long-term. Could you buy a guy? I mean, not a guy that's you know, pending free agent, but a guy that could help you in 2019, 2020? Well, I think on one side of the coin, a lot of our players are drawing interest because we have a lot of players who have expiring contracts. That also yields a lot of holes to fill this offseason. So we've had a lot of open dialogue about we have numerous times to try to address some of those holes. It's now at this deadline, it's this offseason, and then it's next spring training. We may try to do some of that across all three platforms so we don't have to do all of our heavy lifting this offseason. Is one popular name that people ask about Kyle Gibson. I mean, 23 swings and misses the other day. I mean, he's as good as he's ever been. I think he's another guy that could have been in consideration for an all-star post. He, he's had a great great second half to last season. He has a great first half to this season. I think he's really establishing himself as the pitcher who this franchise thought he would be when they drafted him in the first round. And credit goes to Kyle. He's done a lot of hard work. He's been one of the guys who's embraced the advanced metrics as much as anybody on our team. And he's worked very closely with Garvin Alston and Jeremy Hefner on that. So I think, that, I think he's made great strides. I think he would draw a lot of interest if we put him out there. Right now, our focus would be a little bit more on the guys who have expiring contracts in 2018. 
Is there even talk of maybe trying to extend him? I mean, or or how about one of these pending free agents? Do you go to their agents during the season and say, hey, like an Eduardo Escobar, right? He's been unbelievable. Do you at least need to gauge what it would take to sign him long term versus, you know, the decision whether you trade him or not? I think by and large, our, our stance has been we try not to negotiate during the course of the season. We just found like the disruption that that could cause as logical and linear as you may feel a negotiation may go. It, it may take some sidetracks along the way. And so the last thing we'd want to do is detract from the, the focus on the field. Now, that being said, if somebody wants to come to us and present an offer for us to consider, I think we would always t- have that consideration. How about an update on some of the uh, well injured guys slash guys down in the minors, Irvin Santana? Irvin had a four-inning outing the other day. I think the best news coming out of that is that he his feel for his changeup and his slider is progressing. I think his, his velocity and his fastball is about where you'd expect it to be. It's about 88, 89, which is a little bit off of what, what his peak is. But keep in mind, this is the arm strength phase of building up in spring training. So I think that, that tracks perfectly for him to get back to his normal velocity by the time he would be at about six innings and 90 pitches, which is when we would think to bring him back here. So positive signs on, on Irvin. He's going to start Tuesday tomorrow in Chattanooga. Uh, it would be extended to five innings and 75 pitches at that point. So I think it's uh, the tunnel is getting shorter and the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter for Irvin Santana. So maybe even before the end of the month? I think the, the we're going to reevaluate this coming out of the All-Star break. At that point would be the earliest that we would consider bringing him back, uh, at least as it's currently tracked out. Miguel Sano, I mean, are you guys literally videotaping everything he does down in Fort Myers? He has been getting rave reviews. I think the probably the most encouraging thing about Miguel is what's been reported back from Ian Kadish, who is our minor league strength and conditioning coordinator. He's been working with him every day. He's been testing him. He's been working on everything conditioning with him. And Miguel has been singularly committed on that front. So that and also he seems to be hitting the baseball very well down there is, is both of those things are very encouraging. We're going to sit down with Paul Molitor here in the upcoming hours to track what does the next two weeks look like for him. Uh, but we're starting to see some very positive signs about Miguel. And I think on the horizon, we'll start matriculating him back towards the big leagues. Strikeouts, though, are they still troubling? So the strikeout rate, while, while diminished from the major leagues, is still significant, as you just mentioned. Uh, this is where it's helpful to talk to the player directly, and uh, you know the fans don't get to see this. But Miguel's report on that is he's really trying to focus on his timing, and so he's trying to take as many pitches as he can, leading to a lot of two-strike counts, leading to a lot of lot less early count contact, leading to some strikeouts. So he himself is not... Uh, concerned about the strikeouts and thinks like he could he can reduce those pretty quickly if he got a little bit more aggressive early in counts. It makes sense. We'll see how that plays as he continues to move through the minor leagues. Byron Buxton, leg kick, no leg kick. I'm losing track. But but the recent reports, I mean, if I look at his like last 10 or 15 at-bats, I don't think any strikeouts. I get a very small sample size, but are you encouraged from what you're what you're hearing from your Rochester folks about Byron? I, I am. You know, I, I think Byron's gotten to the point where he's putting his foot down a little bit and saying, hey, I want to do things my way, uh, the ways that I know make me feel comfortable at the plate. And I don't think Byron's ever been the most mechanically sound baseball player. I think he's been one of the best athletes to ever play the game. And I think he's trying to infuse his athleticism back into his approach to hit a little bit more now. And I think we're fully supportive of that. My hunch is most successful major league hitters at some point have kind of asserted themselves a little bit more and said, I'm going to do it my way. And whether that's 50, 60, 70 percent individual and then the rest coaching, I don't know what the balance is, but I think he's trying to assert himself and take a little bit more of an active ownership role in his offensive approach. And as you referenced, the last uh, four or five games, it's paid off. What was the rationale behind releasing Felix Jorge? I know that's a few days ago, but, but it's my first time connecting with you. So Felix Jorge, the, and this is one of the challenges associated with managing a roster, is because he is not able to pitch right now due to injury we did not have the ability to put him through outright waivers but rather had to put him through release waivers you cannot outright a player who is injured and so that was really the limitation we had there it didn't reflect our interest in retaining the player in fact we'd like nothing more than to re-sign him just in these instances since he was on the disabled list we were forced to release him rather than put him through outright waivers get you with three more royce lewis i mean is it a matter of when not if i mean does he finish the year in fort myers is that safe to think say I, I think he is doing a lot of things that are getting our attention relative to to a promotion. I think the commitment we made to Royce is to develop him both as a player but also as a teammate and as a man. And I think Jeremy Zoll has done a great job in developing a program for him that addresses all three. We're challenging Royce across the, all three platforms, and he's embracing it. For everyone who's touched and felt this player, he is a dynamic human being. So I think not to put too much on Royce's shoulders, but in addition to being a quality human being and an 
a guy that we believe can be an impact big leaguer. We also think he has a chance to be a leader in this team, and we want to cultivate some of those skills at the lower level so that they shine as he goes through the system. So I think once he gets a handle on all three of those things, he'll be moving to Fort Myers in short order. Can Nick Gordon be an impactful major leaguer? I think Nick Gordon has, you know, held his own getting up to AAA with, you know, not a whole lot of AA at-bats. Uh, I think it's been very encouraging on a team that has struggled periodically offensively. He has been a bright spot. And I think everything you hear from Chad Allen and, and from Joel Skinner, he's really putting in the work. So we're going to be patient with Nick, but I, I do think what we've always seen with this guy is he's got an elite feel for the bat. Uh, and those skills tend to play at the big league level. Maybe after this, Stephen Gonsalves. I mean, does he have major league stuff yes <laughs> okay tell us a little bit more expound on that what makes his stuff so major league worthy yeah so i, I think steven has you know obviously was a past recipient of our minor league pitcher of the year uh he's a projectable body but he's a little bit belies what his looks he's not a power pitcher although he's a powerful body so he's a command guy who has plus secondary pitches and i think what we've seen out of him is the more time he's had each level he's gotten better and better and better so the more the league has seen him he's actually been able to adapt better to the leagues that he's been in than the leagues to him. I think that plays very well for his success in the big leagues where he's going to have a ton of information at his disposal to help try to get out major league hitters. But like Nick Gordon, we're going to be patient with him. Uh, the second, second half could have opportunities. We'll, we'll see on the horizon. Uh, but I think we're excited to see guys like that come up to the big leagues. One of my favorite interviews in town, Twins General Manager Thad Levine. If I had to handicap they absolutely will make multiple trades. That would be my sense. Definitely the relievers. The expiring contract relievers, Zach Duke, Fernando Rodney, I would put them at the top of any list of guys likely to go. And it seems like there's enough interest in Brian Dozier, whether it's the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Red Sox. There's enough contenders that are at least somewhat interested. The return's not going to be enormous, but I would not be surprised at all if the Twins also move Brian Dozier, but certainly look at the relievers first and foremost. But hey, all those guys on expiring contracts, Logan Morrison, Lance Lynn, go up and down the list. Those guys are all available. The front office, as much as they love Barrios, for example, and Barrios isn't going anywhere, but my point is they are not married to any one player. They will listen on anyone. They will listen intently. Nobody is off limits, and nobody should be off limits. When you are, as I record this, I talked to Thad before Monday night's game against the Royals. They won that game, so it's now five consecutive wins, but you're still eight games below 500. You heard Levine sing the praises of Kyle Gibson. 23 swings and misses induced, I get it. The Orioles stink, but still, 23 swings and misses in any one start for any major league pitcher is off the charts impressive. I caught up with Gibson in the clubhouse on Monday, I was curious about what is working so well for him this year. 23 swings and misses the other day. Career high. I mean, but you've set other career highs so far this year. What What is working so well for you? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think my fastball has been in the zone more. I think I've been more aggressive with that. Um, you know, I, sometimes when you're trying to throw pitches to go for swings and misses, you can try to be too nasty and they're not actually swing and miss pitches. Um you guys have talked to me enough to know that I'm not one that's just going out there going after strikeouts. I'd rather have a one pitch out and, and move on. But um, I think I'm I'm trying to do a better job of being in the zone when I when I absolutely have to, and and then you know trying to make pitches look like strikes as much as possible until they're not. But um, really, a lot of it just comes down to execution and trying to be ahead in the count. Is there a certain satisfaction though? I mean, even though you want one pitch for the ball play, is there a certain satisfaction to induce that many swings and misses? Honestly, I didn't really know the number until the game was over. And, and uh, <clears throat> talking with Hef, who Hef and, and Garve and, and the catchers about you know the plan that we had and trying to trying to figure out what had been working the first 11 starts and 12 starts and, and trying to get back to that a little bit, I feel like I'd gotten away from a few of my approaches. And um, you know, I, swing and misses are really just a, a could be a product of the hitters being a little off. Could be a product of executing a really good pitch or. You know, just being throwing the right pitch when the hitter's looking for something else. So there's a lot that goes into it. What were some of those approaches that you got away from that you got back to? Uh, using my changeup more. Um, you know, using my curveball more. I'd, I feel like there had been uh, the last six starts I'd really been a two-pitch pitcher, and that's just not who I am. I'd, I haven't ever uh, been a fastball slider guy. Um, you know, I've been a, a fastball guy and then throw whichever breaking pitch or off-speed pitches is working that day. And uh, I just feel like I've been forcing my slider a little bit too much and, and uh, 
try to get back to use everything. All right, let's transition to the Wolves. Ownership, coaching staff, front office, Las Vegas is the place to be. I can tell you that Carl Anthony Towns, as far as I know, is not in Vegas. He recently has been house hunting. He is looking to buy, no longer rent. I think that's another sign that Carl Anthony Towns, sometime in the near future, will sign a max contract extension. So you can speculate all you want about this, that. When it comes to Carl, is he happy? Are his teammates happy with him? Does he want to be here long-term? Bottom line, guys don't turn down max money off of their rookie contract. So I absolutely see Carl Anthony Towns signing, like I've said, for weeks, months. I see him signing a five-year max extension sometime before the season starts. I don't get the sense the deal is going to get done in the next day or two, but it will get done. I would not worry about that. Also, I've been asked so many times about Jimmy Butler. It doesn't make logical sense. So you can speculate all you want about Jimmy. Does he like it here? Does he not like it here? How fast does he want to get out of here a year from now? It just doesn't make logical sense when he can make so much more money, whether it's signing with another franchise or resetting with the Wolves a year from now, it just doesn't make logical sense for Jimmy Butler to sign an extension this summer. So keep rolling with that thought process that it would be shocking. It really would if Jimmy Butler decides to take four years, $110 million this summer. Yes, of course the Wolves are going to make the offer. The worst he can say is Agent Bernie Lee. The worst they can say is No, of course you have to make the offer, but I'm just telling you, it doesn't make any bleeping sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for Jimmy Butler to sign an extension this summer. All right, what else do I have written down? I've been asked a bunch on Twitter, email about Carmelo Anthony. A reminder, the Wolves reach out on just about every available superstar. And we can debate, Carmelo Anthony is no longer a superstar, but when he got traded from the Knicks to the Thunder, did he still have a little superstar in him? Maybe not, but he's a star. He was a star, at least, at one point in New York, a scoring star. How about that? On one side of the court, he was a star. The Wolves did not have any talks with the Knicks about Carmelo Anthony. So now Melo has been given permission by the Thunder to meet with some teams in Vegas, the Heat, the Rockets. I've been asked, hey, did the Wolves meet with Carmelo Anthony? The answer is no. Just like last year when the Wolves did not talk to the Knicks about acquiring Melo in a trade, even though they reach out on so many guys just to gauge interest, he was one of the few that they did not. No, the Wolves do not have any current interest in Carmelo Anthony. So, Uncle Mercy on the Carmelo Anthony questions. I've also, in the last handful of days, gotten some random KG questions. Maybe it's because KG is in Vegas, Glenn Taylor is in Vegas. People wondering, hey, are they kissing and making up? It's a relationship that absolutely should be repaired. KG's jersey should be hanging in the rafters at Target Center. The short answer is no. There is no progress on that relationship front. Just because KG is in Vegas, it has nothing to do with him patching things up with Glenn Taylor. All right, on free agency, I am told that Corey Brewer absolutely would love to be here. He would play for Tom Thibodeau. The Wolves would have to make a veteran minimum offer. I am convinced that Corey Brewer, led to believe, convinced, however you want to term it, The Corey Brewer would sign on the dotted line tonight, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, if the Wolves extended him a veteran minimum offer. Now, do they need more shooting help? I mean, Anthony Tolliver can shoot, but are they looking for more shooting? Okay, maybe he doesn't help you there, but he can defend. He's a good presence in the locker room. There are a lot of pluses about Corey Brewer, understands his role. He knows that he would be coming off the bench So I'm just telling you, Corey Brewer would love to be a Minnesota Timberwolf, but they have to make the offer. They've inquired. No offer extended yet. Um, Thibodeau has talked to free agent wing Trevion Graham, who's now an unrestricted free agent. The Cavs watched him work out the other day in Vegas. As of now, the Wolves have not inquired about watching Graham work out. They have not extended him an offer, but clearly there's some interest When Tibbs talks to a free agent on Nick Young, I am told Young is another guy that would play for the Wolves. Now, he's looking for a little bit more than the veteran minimum. The buzz from some agents is the Wolves are just looking to fill the roster with a couple veteran minimum guys. So if Nick Young is looking for the biannual or a little bit more, he's not a fit here. But if Nick Young is still unemployed come mid-September, late September, 
then who knows? Maybe he circles back and says, okay, I would take the veteran minimum. But right now I'm told the Wolves are looking at veteran minimum guys, and Nick Young is very, very likely, at least right now as I record this on July 10th, he's not willing to settle quite yet for the veteran minimum. Vince Carter is another guy in the Wolves' radar. The Wolves have not extended him any sort of offer. He, too, is in Vegas. I'm told he is open-minded to playing for Tom Thibodeau. He is one of those guys that would fit that veteran minimum mold. And it's almost misleading to say veteran minimum. I mean, a guy like Vince Carter, who's been in the league forever, the veteran minimum is just about the biannual. I mean, it's just about the same. So it's good money. It's about $3 million for a guy that's been in the league that long. So it's almost misleading to say minimum because for a lot of these guys, it is a lot of money. Jamal Crawford, for example, when he signs the veteran minimum with the Warriors, or who knows, maybe the Lakers or the Sixers, but the Warriors are still the the betting favorite on Jamal. Jamal's been in the league forever, so the veteran minimum for Jamal is really good money, even though he'll have left a little bit of money on the table because he wanted to get the heck out of here as fast as possible. Dante Cunningham is not open to signing for the veteran minimum right now. He's another free agent the Wolves like. Remember, they made him an offer a year ago, but he chose to go back to New Orleans instead, then eventually traded to Brooklyn. I know Brooklyn has interest in retaining Dante. I just know that right now on July 10th, Dante Cunningham is not signing a veteran minimum contract, certainly not here in Minnesota, even though he does like Tom Thibodeau. He absolutely would play for Tibbs. He is very open-minded to returning to Minnesota. The Wolves definitely have interest in retaining Emil Jefferson, played well for Iowa last year, signed a standard deal at the very end of the season, but was pretty much on a two-way for a majority of the season. The Wolves like his potential, so it'll be interesting to see what takes place with him. Plus, there's many league people that think that the Wolves are waiting on both Luol Deng and Joe Kim Noah. Do the Knicks wave and stretch Noah? Do the Lakers wave and stretch Dang. Certainly those two players, if they hit the market, Tom Thibodeau would have interest in a reunion with each, and both those guys would be looking at veteran minimum deals. So it's very possible the Wolves will be patient here. No need to rush, but hey, if the right opportunity presents itself, I'm sure they would add another body. There's enough free agents still available. All right, we'll finish Scoop Podcast episode 158 with some hockey talk. I will aim to record another podcast before the week is over because I have some conversations with new wild forward Matt Hendricks, future Hall of Famer, about to go into Cooperstown in a couple weeks, Jack Morris, a couple other interviews, also Tyler Wall of Lakeville North on why he chose the Wisconsin Badgers over the Gophers. So I need to get those interviews out on a podcast. So I will aim to do episode 159 later in the week. But we will wrap up episode 158 with one of my favorite people in town. He is Octagon NHL agent, former gopher, played in the NHL. He comes from one of the great hockey families in Minnesota. He is Ben Hankinson. Ben is one of the bosses of the Beauty League. Year three starts on Wednesday night. At Braemar Arena in Edina, so many NHL players committed to play. Jake Gensel, Brock Besser, go up and down the list. I mean, so many guys. James Van, Reamsdyke. It's an impressive list. It's like 30, 40, 50 NHL players over the next handful of weeks will be playing at Braemar Arena. So I caught up with Ben, talked a little Dub Beauty League. Plus, he represents so many guys. Nick Bukestead, Brock Besser, Jake Gensel, Paul Martin, who's a free agent. He just had Patrick Maroon sign with the St. Louis Blues. The Wild had some interest in Maroon. He knows Paul Fenton well. So I had a lengthy conversation with Ben on so many different topics. Here is Ben Hankinson. Ben, we're here at Braemar for obvious reasons. Wednesday night, year three, opening night, the Beauty League. I mean, did you ever think when you helped create this league a couple years ago that it would grow into the phenomenon now that it is? I, I was hoping it was going to be a fun environment for the players. I had no idea from the fans' perspective that it was going to be as entertaining and exciting as it was. So I think the guys feed off the fans, and because of that, it's been a huge success. 
What can fans expect, whether they're here Wednesday or later in the summer? I think the more fans are here, the more guys don't want to embarrass themselves. So they play a little harder. They're still smiling and having fun. But when there's a scoreboard and fans, they're, they're competing. They're not competing like they're playing for the cup, but they're competing pretty hard, harder than they normally would if they're playing pickup hockey or training. So I think the fans are going to see a fun, intimate atmosphere where they get to meet the guys, maybe get an autograph, and see them up close and have a, you know, have a, a good ticket price looking at you know maybe a family a four to come in for 20 bucks as opposed to 200 bucks and it's a good collection of guys that are committed to playing yeah we have uh i think over the years we've had 60 plus nhl guys and it's funny there's guys that that hear about it and come in to play like i just got off the phone with patrick maroon who's from st louis just signed with the blues and he's uh coming in for a week or two to skate zach bogosian bought a place here uh because he comes here and trains and skates so it's pretty amazing james van reams same thing so they love it and it, it it goes to a good cause like uh we have we have three charities this year. Uh, Shine a Light is Paul Martin's charity. We have always had United Heroes League, which is military families in need for sports. And then uh, the Herb Brooks Foundation is going to be part of it this year, too. So uh, we divide up that money and uh, and give it to some good charities. I mean, is there almost a temptation to charge a little bit more? I mean, the tickets are so cheap and such great causes to maybe charge a few extra bucks? Yeah, you know what? There is, for sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, whatever we can give to the charities is great. So I think... Uh, you know, they know it's going to a good cause. There's people that sneak into, you know, it's, it's the inevitable, you know, um, kind of half the crowd is, is paying and I think half find their way to sneak in. But yeah, I mean, we, we used to be five bucks, but now we go 10 and the kids get in free. So uh, it's, it's a great bang for the buck on a hot summer night too, sitting in air conditioning. It's pretty awesome. You mentioned Maroon. I mean, this time of the year, I mean, is there a busier stretch? I mean, we're sitting here talking to you on what is today, July 10th. Is there a busier stretch, like a two, three-week stretch from, you know, from June 23rd or, you know, even circle back to the draft? Until now, I mean, is there seriously? Is there a busier stretch in your in your professional life? Yeah, you life? know what? The trade deadline gets busy with guys because teams decide. Okay, do we sign them long term? Do we trade them? Um, but this time, you're right. You go from the NHL combines where the teams start meeting about the draft. Then you go to the draft. Then there's a uh, interview period where you can talk to free agents. Then there's free agents. Teams have their development camps. The beauty league starts now. It's not hockey season, but it's it's crazy. Like it's just one thing after another. So I was meeting with uh, Steve. Eiserman came into town. We did Ryan McDonough's deal. Now a few other guys. Uh, uh, Luke Shen was a client. Patrick Maroon worked on Travis Boyd. Uh, got a few other uh, clients to get done with. Maybe, you know, Brock Bester on an extension. Maybe Jake Gensel on an extension. I have Brock Nelson I'm working on. So it's it's crazy. The good thing for me is I'm spoiled. When these guys come to the rink, I can talk to them. I can see them once or twice a week. And then they can ask me about contract stuff. We can sit down. Paul Martin's coming in any minute. And we'll sit down with him and talk to him about his charity, the Beauty League, and, you know, more importantly, his career, too. So it's it's busy, but it's it's fun. It's, it's what we live for. On Paul, I mean, is there a belief that, that his career will continue, that he'll land somewhere eventually here? I think so. Like, he, he's a pretty proud guy, and he's still got game left. He's, he's up in the, you know, upper 800s. It'd be nice to get to 1,000. But for Paulie, he's all about, can I help the team? Can I be a top player? You know, does someone want me? And, you know, it's tough. When, when you don't feel like that love, it's tough to, to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove him wrong. Or I mean, he's played, you know, had an unbelievable career. So, you know, he can play the question is um, will we find the perfect fit for him and that might be what he's looking for and I think you know you have to be patient like he hasn't signed yet but there's been some uh, potential uh, like teams that are interested in doing something and they just want to see you know when the right time to do it is and Paul's you know gonna be around long enough that he wants to make a decision too is this a place where I want to go or is this a place I'm just going to be a uh, you know a, a Paul Newman player coach yeah I mean Heck, I mean, what about the hometown team? I mean, I'm not sure they're looking for a defenseman, but how cool would it be if Paul finished his career in his, in his hometown? Right. I think it'd be fabulous. And I've talked to Paul Fenton. I've talked to Brent Flair. I've talked to the Wild about that. And uh, Bruce Pedrol. I think they'd love to have him. You know, can they fit? You like, can they fit him in? Is he going to be a 5'6"? Is he going to be a 7'8"? Do they have a young guy that they're kind of blocking out in that spot? So I think the time, as time goes on, we'll have those conversations. And, and we're not trying to fool anyone. So we want to make sure, like, overall, the expectations are where they should be. And, and he's in a spot 
where he knows he can come in and help, and it's a good fit on their side too. So keep an eye out on that. We'll see what happens, but nothing yet. And there's other teams, though. I mean, there's absolute interest in Paul. Yeah, there was interest last year at the deadline, too, for him in a trade. But the problem was, you know, he was on, going into the last year of his contract, and he had a, you know, fairly, you know, big price tag on him at over $4 million a year, like almost $5 million on a cap hit. Now, there's no question it's going to be a much, much lower number near, near the minimum. But uh, it's still, like, kind of taking up that prime spot on a team. And I think there'd be a great fit, but, you know, we'll see. It's, it's everyone. Everyone in the summer on paper thinks their teams look fabulous. And then once you get 10 games in the season, things start shaking up. But is Paulie going to want to wait until the beginning of the season or 10 games in if it takes that long? I don't know. So you said that Iserman came to town. I mean, was there a belief once he hopped on that airplane that, that the extension absolutely would get done for Ryan? Yeah, it was kind of funny. We actually... Uh, I picked him up, and we went to a little, little uh, it's funny, a cigar bar, like a private cigar bar. So we had him on our home ice, not like the new fancy rinks where there's no home ice advantage anymore. We had him in the dungeon. So I had him in a headlock, and Ryan was pulling on his legs, and McAlpine was tickling him under his armpits, and uh, we got the deal done. I think when he left, we kind of had the parameters of it done, but there was more things to figure out, like the structure and, you know, if there's any signing bonus, no trade stuff, how many years ago. Exactly, and Ryan is on board to buy into the future. They just signed Kucherov. They got a great team. They're working on trying to get Carlson. I don't know if that could happen, but uh, Eiserman then went to uh, see Tavares out in uh, out in California too. So CV Eiserman's, you know, one of the best all around as a player, and uh, and he's done a great job as a GM. So that's where Ryan McDonough, local hero here, um, you know, was a captain in New York, and he wanted to buy into what they're selling to, and then they offered him a, a good contract, and you know, he's happy to be there as a, as a top-end player, too. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it worked out brilliantly for Ryan. I mean, you know, it had to be a little bit of a shell shock, even though his name was out there in trade talks and the Rangers were going more rebuild route. You know, but being in New York, I mean, he was this big-time stud there, right, and then ends up in Tampa, but... Heck, Tampa's roster is loaded, as you said. I mean, everything just worked out. It seems like after some shell shock, it worked out just brilliantly for him. Yeah, and he's, you know, you don't just think these guys can snap their fingers and get thrown into a new organization and all of a sudden land on their feet and run. And he was a little banged up. He was a little bruised up from everything in, in New York. He was a captain of the team. He was a voice. He was a leader. He was, I think, one of their youngest captains, if not youngest, in franchise history. At a, you know, at a, obviously a young age, that's a big responsibility with the you know original six in New York City. So being a top dog there, and then being banged up, he had some issues with his his uh, you know abs a little bit or his broken hand, and so he wanted to play. And we had to basically shut it down and say rest, get healthy, you get the playoffs. And he's like. He, he, he won't do that. That's not his DNA. So once he got down there, you know, he's got a wife, he's got a kid, he's got dogs, he's got, you know, a lot of things that trail. And he didn't know until the final minute where he was going. And thankfully, he ended up in an awesome spot. But it, it took him a little while because now he's got Victor Hedman, who just won the Norris as their top D. So he's, you know, not not the not, you know one and only shining star there. Like he's, you know, kind of taking a little bit of a, you know, I don't say in the shadows of him, but it's a complimentary where they got two top shutdown defensemen. And, and uh, you know, he's going to be even better this year than he was last year. And he was good last year, too. Um, Besser, Vancouver does have some interest in an extension. And how is he doing? health-wise he's uh he's doing great he'll be out here skating tomorrow in the beauty league uh and he's he's uh you know ready for you know another great season so you know we'll talk with them and and see if there's something to talk about but he's got a contract for next year and he and i are not you know looking for hey you got to sign him you know we were just talking off camera like you, you know the average fan sees like what's you know these high-paid professional athletes you know want extensions want another year Hey, he knows he's got to do it again next year. He's ready to do it. And we'll see if Vancouver wants to lock him up long term or kind of wait and see what happens. And we're, we're good either way. He's confident in his ability. He's a young player. He's got a contract next year and he's ready to go. So that won't be a distraction. But if they want to talk about it, obviously we'll listen and, and try to you know, get something done if, if that's the case. Did you know, I mean, right away when you connected with Brock that this young man is is incredibly special and you know a lot of wild fans are still upset that the wild passed on him in that draft yeah i think so just the way he carries himself like you go out to the nhl awards in vegas i was out there with him a couple weeks ago he carries himself well beyond his years and a lot of that is he's gone through some battles at home he's lost a couple good friends in a car accident he's uh, got a dad that's been battling 
you know, different things, including cancer and Parkinson's. He's got a sister that's off the charts awesome. She played in the special game yesterday, uh, last year against Brock. And I think, you know, when it hit me, obviously I saw him score his, his goal. He was all in to sign. He was all in to play. He's one of those guys that doesn't ask questions, just gets thrown in the fire and does it. But um, I knew it after I picked him up. Uh, like his maybe his second time through uh, Minnesota, or maybe it was after the first game. I think it was the second time through when he came here, and I picked him up and we went out for lunch, or I drove him home, or whatever I did. And he said something to me that was, you know, borderline. I don't want to say cocky, but confident, and said, you know what, this game comes, you know, I don't want to say he said it comes easy to me, but it doesn't. But he said, I, I'm going to do better in this league than I thought. Like I, I know I'm going to have, you know, success. Like basically said, you know, get ready. Like I'm going to, I'm going to put you on my back. <laughs> We're going to make a good ride here because I feel pretty good out there. This NHL is meant for me. Yeah, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, heck, I mean, he's turned into this superstar in Vancouver already. I mean, he's a fan favorite up there already. Yeah, they like him. And like I said, he he's just carries himself so well. And more importantly, with the players on the team. I mean, from a fan's perspective, you, you can't help but root for him because he's young and he's good and he's charismatic and he's good looking. And he's he's kind of hopefully the, the fresh face of that organization with the Sydney's leaving. But the guys like Thomas Vanek and the younger guys say, hey, this kid is, he should be more cocky. Like, he's he's confident. But, you know, we need him to realize he's pretty damn good and step up. And, and I think he has that. I mean, he definitely has it where you know, he's not afraid to, you know, kind of push, the, push the, the envelope a little bit by knowing he's that good, but actually going out and, and proving it, too. Like, he's, yeah, he's, I think he's a real deal. Were the Wild in on Maroon? And if they were, was it just one of those deals, though? I mean, is St. Louis's hometown where... It almost seemed inevitable that, that the Blues would, would jump in and make the best offer. Yeah, I think um, he had a lot of different scenarios on short or multi-year deals. And he had, actually had options where he could make a lot more money. And the Blues are, you know, his hometown, his wife's hometown. He grew up watching the Blues. He trains with those guys. He skates with those guys. He knows where he fits in. Their top nine is, is really, really good. And there's probably top ten in there where he knows he's going to be in a good spot. He'll sign a short-term deal there. And more importantly than anything else, it's uh, his son played a big factor. And he's got a nine-year-old son. Every time Patrick would leave town and come through to play St. Louis, his son was crying when he'd leave the training camp. His son would cry and he wouldn't see dad. So it's pretty, that's not 100% the reason he makes it. But you know what? It might be a big reason to, you know, have, have your son as a nine-year-old, you know, get to watch dad play. It might ha- last one year. It might last the next, you know, eight years of his career. But uh, the, the Blues, I think, are a good team. And he's buying into what they're selling. And they're, I think it's a good fit both sides there. He's a big, gritty left winger. And I did talk to the Wild. Uh, and, and they were very interested. They like him. They just, you know, how does he fit in here? We don't have room for him. Where is he going to fit? You know, we got to maybe, you know, look at, like teams always do. They're not looking to trade everybody, but if it's the right deal, they tinker. And I think they're, you know, kind of we're willing to, you know, maybe if he's available in another week or two, they'd be interested. But, you know, Patrick had a couple good options, obviously, with the Blues and decided to lock something in. I'll let you go after a few more on Jake Gensel. I mean, he just keeps getting better and better. I mean, the playoff run from a couple of years ago, heck, that might stand out 10 years from now when we look back at his career. Probably will in many ways with all those goals scored. But, I mean, he has to be one of those fan favorites in Pittsburgh when we're talking about all your clients being being these fan favorites, being these studs. He's just he's another one of those guys. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty special. He you see him out here and you know just how he sees the game. You know, you, you're sitting in the press box and and everything looks so easy. It looks like a chess match out there. And that's how the great guys, you know, Mario Lemieux and Gretzky. I mean, that's the difference. How they see the game so differently than everyone else. I mean, when I played, I was just up and down. I could hardly see two feet in front of me, or I was looking at the puck the whole time. You know, you got Jake Ensel. He knows. You know, it's like counting cards at the casino like he's looking like deep into that deck he can see guys everywhere and his head's always up he's knowing you know where to move the puck because he likes moving it just as much as scoring but you're right he was fabulous I think I think even this season they were knocked out and didn't get to the the finals obviously but he's I think still maybe the lead 
leading, you know, five on five scorer in the playoffs. And he was leading that scoring this year too as well. And was after even the next round, he and Crosby were tied. And I think Jake was leading because he had more goals. But uh, no, he's he's pretty special. Like he's kind of an aw shucks kid, like understated, you know, quiet, you know, almost, uh, you know, where he doesn't act like he thinks he's that good. He's always proven himself, but he just, you know, has that DNA where there's something so unique how he how he processes things, how he plays. You know, you can throw him in on the third line with Crosby, and uh, he's just he's got that uh, he's got that it factor, no question. What should we make of these Nick Bukestead trade rumors? Yeah. Including the Wild. I mean, it's many teams that have popped up, but including the hometown team. Yeah. I mean, he's played center. He's played wing. He's a big 6'6", right shot. You know, 6'6", is tough to teach. You know, right shot, there's not as many of those guys. He can play center. You know, he moves well. He covers a lot of ice. And I think the Wild and I think the teams you hear about, Pittsburgh, Montreal, I think those teams have always been looking for that, that you know, really good second-line center or, uh, or right wing or, you know, whatever, you know, he can, he can fit many roles. But I think the Wild, yeah, would be, a, would be a, an option for him. But like, like I said, they'd have to, you know, move some out pretty good to get him. And it's the right deal there. You know, I don't know. Um, but I, I know for years teams have been, have been poking. Every year it seems to heat up with him. He just is coming off a really good year, a career year. And the GM down there, Dale Talon, has always said, I'm not trading him, Hank. I'm not trading him. I'm not trading him. Don't worry. It's not true. But at the end of the day, if he gets something really good, he'll trade Nick Bukestad. I just don't see it happening. But, yeah, I mean, unless he's blown away, you probably know Dale well enough where you're going to take him at face value. You're going to accept his word and believe that, yeah, Nick's not going anywhere. Yeah, he drafted him. He stuck with him through, like, maybe not a, a great year. Um, he had an injury, stuck with him. He's had many chances to trade him, but uh, I think they took him in the first round for a reason, and they, they know he's got even more upside, and he's, he's pretty damn good right now. So I think uh, Nick, it's, it's, he's been dealing with this for a couple of years where he reads about it, and uh, he's, he's in a good spot. But you know what? It's part of the business. If they move him, they move him. Let's go after this. As we're starting to get to know Paul Fenton, the Wilds' new front office, some other additions. Certainly, we know Brent, and you deal with Brent, but but specifically on Paul, I mean. I presume you've dealt with him even going back a number of years when he was in Nashville. What's it like dealing with Paul? What can you tell us about Paul? He's uh, a, a tough Boston kid. I think he's a Springfield Mass guy, so he's, it's kind of funny. Like when he got the job, I called him up and I said, you know, all those years I'm trying to sell you Minnesota kids, and you're always just like everyone else, like wondering, you know, I don't know about these Minnesota kids. High school, should they be playing in the USHL? Should they go play in, 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 in uh, the CHL up in Canada? And said, now you're 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 buying into it. You, you're you're kind of eating the the soup here that we're all eating. You got to be selling now Minnesota hockey. And he's like, Hank, I've always loved Minnesota kids from day one. I've always liked high school. I've always liked your guys. He's a competitive, tough, you know, hockey guy. I think he's always been scrappy, and I think he's always looking for the edge. And he will with the Wild too. I don't think he's going to make massive changes, but he'll he isn't afraid to pull the trigger on something too. And you know what? The good thing is he's. He's not afraid to make enemies. I'm not saying he has enemies, but he's a guy that you know will 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 go into the corner and battle and uh, and try to come up with something. I'm sure he's got all kinds of scenarios going on, and I think he likes the team. He added some grit. You know that that technically, if you want to say the fourth line, but you got JT Brown there, you got Felino, and you got Maddie Hendrickson. If that's the fourth line, that's a lot tougher. They added another defenseman. Um, I think they're you know I think they're identifying some of their some of their needs. I think they've always been a team that's you know I don't want to say soft, but they always could be a little bit tougher to play against. So he addressed that, and that's like carries into the locker room too, where he got some character guys like Hendy especially is going to be really good in the room. So I think he's going to continue to make this team better, but he's not going to rush to any decisions. He's going to deal with what he's got, and he's he's doing a good job so far. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. I mean, it's not exactly breaking news that I prefer basketball, baseball, football, but you know what? Hockey guys are the best guys to deal with in all of sports, and that includes Ben Hankinson. Plus, I love this time of the year when in three of the major sports, baseball, basketball, and hockey, we're talking a ton about player movement, free agency, trades, and roster turnover. So that was a fun conversation. So many guys that Ben Hankinson represents, and many of those guys will be on the ice starting Wednesday night at Braemar Arena. Kids are free, and adults, as Ben mentioned, 
$10. So you can watch some really good hockey, pretty competitive hockey, certainly not NHL caliber competition. The guys ramp it down a bit in the summer, but still, there's a crowd. Guys want to perform when there's a crowd. So you'll see relatively good hockey for a very reasonable price. Braemar Arena in Edina, the home of the Beauty League. Again, I'll aim to record another podcast. I've got some other notes, but I'm at about the 60-minute mark. So we're going to call it a podcast. Now I can save some of the other notes for Scoop Podcast episode 159. But this was Scoop Podcast episode 158, recorded on Tuesday night, the 10th of July. Always appreciate you listening. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.